passage. I'm going to read the first uh, nine verses and talk about it a little bit. Uh, can you go ahead and pull that map up, please? Um, hopefully you can make that out pretty well. I, I couldn't blow it up anymore because it would start, I couldn't get everything in because that's a couple of thousand miles there. Um, so I want to talk about that a little bit as we get here in Acts chapter 27 and uh, we focus on the Lord. I, I'm thankful that you're here today. Let's begin this morning in verse number one. All right. And when it was determined that we should sail unto Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus's band. And entering into a ship of Adramidium, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, one Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. Now, if you'll remember, just setting up this, Paul has been under one trial after another. He has appealed to Caesar. We finished up chapter 26 last week. Agrippa said, you know, really, Paul should be let go. But he has appealed to Caesar, so we're going to send him to Caesar. And now he's making that journey to Rome. And if several weeks back now, we were in Acts chapter 23 and verse 11, where the Lord told Paul to be of good cheer. He came to him in the night and said, be of good cheer. As he's testified there, he's also going to testify of Rome. So Paul knows what the will of God is for his life, and that is for him to make it to Rome. He is aware of that. God has made that very clear. And so now he has been handed over to this Roman centurion uh, who travels back and forth to Rome. They are uh, boarding this ship of Adramidium. And I don't think it was the best ship for them to take, but it was one that was leaving Caesarea and beginning to make that journey. They'll eventually uh, board a larger boat. I want you to notice in verse 1 that the, the pronoun we is mentioned, and so that tells us that Luke is there and he is traveling with Paul. And the other one that is mentioned is Aristarchus, who first shows up in Acts 19 and verse 29 when there was an uproar in Ephesus. And so they are traveling with him. Now, you get to verse 3, and it says, The next day we uh, touched at Sidon. And Sidon is about 60 miles. If you start down there on the bottom right, or it's Palestine, if you can see the word Caesarea, that's where they begin their journey. They travel north up the coast to Sidon in Syria. And the Bible says that they, they touched there. They just came along that place and... It says in verse 3 that Julius courteously entreated Paul. And that is the Greek word for courteously is where we get our word philanthropy. He's being very kind to him. And he gave him liberty there in verse 3 to go unto his friends to refresh himself. Evidently, Paul knew some people inside him. And so the centurion realizing and recognizing that Paul was not a threat criminally he allowed him to go out there and, and he was at liberty to visit with some of his friends, perhaps receive some things from them. It says that the purpose was to refresh himself, which means he was allowed to receive some kind attention, uh, hospitality, if you will. And, 
In verse 4, they, when they launched from there, they sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. It would have been better. You see the island of Cyprus there. It would have been better to go south of there. But because of the, the way the winds were blowing, they, they could not go in that general direction. You'd think of a straight shot going up to Italy, the, the, the closer path. But because the winds were contrary, they went uh, above Cyrus there, along the mainland of Cilicia and Pamphylia, which is not on the map, but it's in between Cilicia and Lycia there. And so they're, they're making this journey because the winds are contrary, the scripture says. And I imagine as Paul is on that ship and he is making that journey around Cyprus that as it would us, knowing that dark days still lie ahead for him, you would go back and you would think about different memories in your life. And in Acts 13, and when, when Paul and Barnabas were sent out on their first missionary journey, the first place they went was Cyprus, the island of Cyprus. Mark was with them at that time, and, and I imagine that the very first convert they had was a chief deputy by the name of Sergius Paulus. Wouldn't you wonder where Sergius Paulus is? Where would Sergius Paulus be today? I wonder if he's serving the Lord. I wonder what he's doing in the church. There was also one that really they had issues with, and that was Elimus the sorcerer. I wonder if Elimus ever received his sight because he was blinded because of the things that he had said. Well, they continue making that journey to, to Lycia, and they come to a place of Myra. Let's... Let's read verse 4. And when he had launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing unto Italy. And he put us therein. And when he, we had sailed slowly many days, I want you to underline certain phrases here for me. At the end of verse 4. It says, because the winds were contrary. And then in verse 7, when we had sailed slowly many days. They didn't have a big powerful engine on that, on that ship. It was just a mainsail. And because the contrary winds, they are traveling at a very slow pace. And it says in verse 7, scarce were come over against Sinaitis. And you'll see Sinaitis on the map as he continues going west from Myra. You'll see there Sinaitis, a little, a little place there amongst all the different islands and shoals that are there. And so it says as they come to that area against Sinaitis, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete over against Salmone. Salmone. So now the wind again is contrary. They could continue to go west, but no, that they had to follow the, the wind. As they're traveling west, the wind is blowing from the west and northwest, and it's fighting them. And so rather than continue going west, they drop down to the island of, of Crete. They come along on the east coast there, a little town called uh, Salmon, and eventually they come to the Fair Havens. It says in verse 8, and hardly passing it, we came into a place that's called the Fair Havens, which are harbored. And nigh whereunto was the city of Lycia, which is on the south coast of 
Crete. And it says in verse 9, Now when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, underline that phrase, it was now dangerous, because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them. Now that fast that is mentioned there is found in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 27 through 29. And it is talking about the Day of Atonement. There it's talking about the seventh day of the month, but if you compare the Jewish calendar with our calendar, it's really the tenth month for us, which is October. They were just celebrating that holiday around October the 7th in Israel when Hamas came over into their lands and killed 1,400 Israelites. It was a holiday that you probably heard the news referred to as Yom Kippur. It's the Day of Atonement, where they present themselves before the Lord. Well, that would be mid-October, and from mid-September to mid-November, that was a very dangerous time to travel on those seas. They really should have already been through there, but because the contrary winds, they're traveling at such a slow rate, they're not making up the, I know it's water, but making up the ground as we normally would think. And so they're, they're there at the Fair Havens, and they're trying to decide... What should we do? Where do we go? Now, when, as we continue our journey through Acts and we get to chapter 27, I spent a lot of time praying and studying over this chapter and praying really for God to give me a message to deliver to our church. And if I was teaching Acts 27, I would go into a lot of things. But as I prayed and sought the Lord... I want to give you a message this morning entitled, Navigating Life's Seas. Because as we journey through life, we come across moments where it seems like everything is fighting us. The winds are contrary. We've got great intentions. We have it all mapped out. This is where we want to go. This is where we want to be. But everything just seems to be in opposing that. The contrary winds are hitting us in the face. And it's just the Lord is redirecting our route. But God is always in control, amen? And you're going to see that in this passage. My heart is burdened every week over the number of things that people in our church face and go through. It may be sickness, it may be finances, it may be emotional things, mental things, it may be different people. It just blows your mind. Whoever you're sitting beside is going through something, I promise you. And nobody has to be there. It's just, it's just hitting them in the face and, and, and things are not going the direction they would like for it to go and, and there's just things that stand in opposition and it's just one thing after another and now they get to a place where we got to decide what direction are we going to go, what are we going to do. It's a dangerous time, we understand that. So where do, what does God want? What is God, we ask the question, what is God doing we we'll all face that at some time. I, I heard a message years ago on Acts chapter 27, a great message on the storms of life. And that preacher said, everybody's, everybody's involved in a storm. Either you're going into a storm, you're in a storm, or you're coming out of a storm. With the exception of the last few months around here, we have seen that. It's just, there's, there's one thing after another. 
It affects us personally, and it, it affects your uh, church, it affects your family, it affects your home life, it affects so many different things. It affects your businesses, your work, all of those different areas in your life. As I study in this passage, there's five things that I want to point out to us tonight, this morning, concerning navigating life seas, and I, I hope it'll be a blessing to you. And I'm just going to name the five, and then we'll, break, we'll look at them as we continue through the passage. Number one is wisdom. Seek godly wisdom. Number two is the word of God. Pray and heed to the word of God. The third one is warning. Don't miss the warnings that come our way. The fourth is worship. Worship God even while you are waiting. And the will of God. Just trusting the sovereignty of God in the midst of the storms that we go through. So wisdom, word, warning, worship, and the will of God. Pray with me. Father, I pray for your help. Help us to look at these passages. Help me, Father, to preach your truth and your word. I need you. Our people need you. Use your word to help us, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. So you see at the end of verse 9. Let's look, read verse 9 again. Now when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them. Here comes, here comes Paul. Paul now has to interject himself because he's got something that needs to be heard. And he offers some wisdom in verse number 10. He said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage. Not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Now, if somebody comes to you and says that, listen, your life is in danger if you make this decision. You would think that we would listen to them. Now, Paul is not speaking as someone without experience. Because when he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 25, in his testimony, he says that he suffered shipwreck three times. If somebody's been in three shipwrecks, you need to hear them. Right? Not because of what they know how to stay out of it, but they know what it is to go into it. So they, he is, at one point he says he spent a night and a day in the deep. So he had been, he had been floating out there for an entire 24 hours. So I'm going to tell you something. Paul is saying, listen, I don't want to, I've, seen this, I've seen this before, and I'm telling you, I don't want to go there again. Because it will endanger not just, the, not just the ship, not just the cargo in the ship, but it will endanger everyone. Well, the centurion, has he's the one that's in charge. He's the one that needs to make the decision. And he looks at Paul, and you look at Paul, and you see, well, there's a prisoner. There's no doubt a missionary. But he's not a seaman, he's not a sailor. And so, in seeking wisdom, he hears what Paul has to say, but then he turns to the master and the owner of the ship in verse 11. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. Now, if you're looking at worldly wisdom, you'd say, well, he made the right decision. The owner of the ship certainly doesn't want his ship to be shipwrecked. He doesn't want to lose, as a businessman, he doesn't want to lose all the cargo. 
And he's someone who has made this trip many, many times. And so we're trusting the master of the ship, the owner of the ship, whether or not they're the same people, I don't know. But he's putting his trust and his confidence in their experience. So in one way, he's underestimating Paul and he's overestimating the experience of someone with worldly wisdom. I think it's wise to seek worldly wisdom. But the godly wisdom is the one that we need to listen to the most. It's good to look at the circumstances. It's good to get all the facts and all the evidence that you need to make a right decision. But don't leave God out in the process. Well, he makes the decision, and, and as well as the majority of everyone on the ship, it says in verse 12, because the haven was not commodious, which means it was inconvenient to winter in the more part. It, it, winter in, it says the more part, the majority advised it apart thence also. If by any means they might attain to Phoenix, as you'll see, which is going west, you'll see it says Phoenix there on the island of Crete. It's about 40 miles away from the Fair Havens. But to them, it was a better place to winter. It's not that they were going to try to go all the way to Rome. They just said, this is a better place for us to spend the winter and wait, wait out this stormy season. And so it says, which is a haven of Crete, and lieth toward the southwest and the northwest. And in verse 13, the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose. Loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. I want to give us this word of wisdom. Be careful. Be careful of which way the wind blows. It is easy to make a decision based upon what we feel. It is easy to make a decision based upon what we think is the wisest thing to do. And then we say, well, God must be in it because we have the right wind now. The wind is blowing this direction. The south wind blows. And so that's going to help them get to where they're trying to go. It's, it's, it's in that general direction. And so they, they say, well, we have obtained our purpose. It, it looks like this is what we need to do. And now that the wind is working in our favor, they loosed from the fair havens. And they begin to make the trek up to finish. But verse 14... Not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon. If they named the storm, it's a pretty powerful storm. And that wind begins to blow and is a very strong and powerful wind. It is something that is still known in that part of the world today. It's this time of year where those storms blow through. I've learned not to go to the Philippines in July and August because of the typhoons. It's a dangerous time to go. But they, they believe, well, it's, it's, everything's working in our favor, so let's make this decision. And, and we think everyone agrees with us, the majority agrees with us, and so we're just going to make this decision. So they just loose out a little bit, they begin their journey. They don't get very far, and here, here it comes. The tempestuous wind begins to blow, and it's such a strong storm that it makes even the most experienced seamen nervous. says in... Verse 15, and when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. I'm going to tell you something. If you have to let the ship drive herself, you're in trouble. 
If you get to a place where I can't steer it anymore, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to steer it and get everywhere it needs to go. I'm trying to f deal with the wind, but it's beyond my control and it's overpowering. And so I just have to take my hands off of it and it's just going to go wherever it wants to go because the wind is too powerful for me. It is too dangerous a time and I know now I've messed up, but I can't go back. And so I just, I just hope for the best. Well, it says in verse 16 that they ran under a certain island, which is called Clauda. You'll see that on the map. And we had much work to come by the boat. Now the boat is all messed up. And you get to verse 17. And when they had taken up, they used helps, it says, undergirding the ship. And those were cables, those were things in below the ship that would tighten everything up because everything is pounding on it and the ship and they're worried about it, it falling apart. It's the, same, it's the same word that is used in Hebrews 4 verse 16 and we pray it all the time. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace and ask help in a time of need. Ask help. Why are we asking for help, Art? Because we are falling apart. We're in a mess. Lord, I'm in a mess. I don't know what to do. I don't know where I'm at. It's the same thing. Let it, we come boldly to the throne of grace to ask help in a time of need. They're they are there below Colada. They, they find a little safe place for a little bit and they begin to uh, fasten up the ship to, uh, to secure the ship the best that they possibly can. There was a lot of work to be done. They knew they, they should have just stayed where they were, but they've already there, and they, now they're trying to make the best of the situation. They're concerned, it says in verse 17, that, that they're fearing that they should fall into the quicksands and strike sail. There, there's many shallow spots in that area, and they're, they're concerned about being, uh, being driven into those shoals and, and, uh, and, and really just hitting the ground. And in verse 18, we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, That'll make everybody seasick. The next day they lighten the ship. They begin to, let's, let's get some weight off. Let's begin to throw some things out. We don't need this for our safety and security. Let's start throwing things away. And the third day in verse 19, we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. They, they just continue to give out everything that they didn't see as absolutely necessary. Let's, let's throw this stuff out. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, have you ever felt like that? You know how depressing it is when it rains for weeks and you never see the sun? For many days, because of the storms, neither sun nor stars appeared. It says no small tempest lay on us. It just continually, continually pounded them. It says all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. Say, what is that? That is a discouraged, depressed individual. Can I get an Amen. There's no hope. I don't know if you've ever gotten to that place, but many people get to that place. I don't know what to do. You throw your hands, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I should have listened. I should have listened to what Paul said. Can I say this going forward? All of us have made bad decisions because we didn't listen to what Paul said. Because Paul's got a lot to say in the Word of God. But we neglected what Paul said. 
I wish I'd have listened to what Paul said. I wouldn't be in this mess, but I'm in this mess now. And the truth is, I don't know how to get back. I don't know how to get back. I listened to the wrong people. I listened to people that I thought knew best, and I listened to them, and I made my decision based on them instead of what God was telling me. Now I don't know. All hope is lost. I'm thankful that those people on the ship had a Paul on the ship and not a Jonah. Because you'll see, he shows back up in verse 21. After a long abstinence, what was Paul doing? If I know Paul, Paul's down there praying. They can make their own decision, Lord. We're all in danger. I know where I'm going to get. I know somehow you're going to get me to Rome because you told me that. But it's not just me that I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about Luke and Aristarchus. I'm concerned about my fellow prisoners. I'm concerned about Julius. I'm concerned about the captain and owner of the ship. I'm concerned about the seamen. I'm concerned about others. It's more than just me. And now that they have come to this place and they've just lost all hope and they're just drifting away, in verse 21 he says, After long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and says, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and have tossed them and not have tossed from, loose from Crete and to have gathered this gain, this harm and loss. Now that would be the ultimate I told you so, wouldn't it? But that's not, I don't believe that's how he meant it. I don't believe he came up there and said, you should have listened to me, I told you so. I believe he's coming up there to say, now will you listen to me? Now will you hear what I got to say? And he offers the word in verse 22. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer. For there... We looked at to be of good cheer in Acts 23, 11. That was to take courage. This does not mean that. It means to be happy. He says, now I exhort you, I encourage you to be happy. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. Well, that's great news, but it doesn't look like it, Paul. It doesn't, right now, there doesn't look like any hope. But he does say there, there will be loss of the ship. That's not really comforting. He says in verse 23, For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. That's a good word. The word comes to Paul and says, Listen, not only am I going to take care of you, I'm going to take care of all, your, all those who are with you. Not only am I going to take care of you, but I'm going to take care of your family. We'll take care of your church. We're all going to get there. And he says in verse 25, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. Be happy. Why? Because I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Uh, my wife did on a session with the ladies last week about the promises of God. We kind of looked at that in Acts 26 last week. And the thing is, listen, you can trust the Lord. We can put confidence in the Lord. And Paul, I, I have that underlined in my Bible. He just says, I believe God. I know it doesn't look good. I know it's a scary situation. But I believe, I believe what God has told me. We're going to be all right. So be happy. Yeah, but Paul, you just said we're going to lose our ship. I know you're going to lose your ship. 
you're going to reap what you sow. Amen? It was your decision. You decide to get out of there. You're going to lose the ship. You're going to lose all the cargo. You're going to lose all those things. But you're going to make it. You're going to get through this storm. I believe the Lord. And so he goes on. Now this is, this is an important phrase in verse 26. He says, how be it we must be cast upon a certain island. Now, even Paul didn't know what that island was. He says, however, we're going to be cast upon a certain island. Well, what island? I don't know. Well, if you really want to encourage me, Pastor, tell me what's going to happen. I don't know. I just can tell you what the Word of God says. Where are we going to end up now? I don't, I don't know. I can't tell you that. But I do believe God. And I do believe the Lord's never going to leave us nor forsake us. How be it? Paul doesn't know where they're going to end up. He knows this, they're going to shipwreck. They're going to lose the ship and they're going to go into an island that he doesn't know where it is. Now here's what it is. Do you put confidence in God because he gives you all the answers or because, he's, because God knows best and he's the one that's leading? Because if we have to have, if we can only worship God because we know everything that is laid out before us, that does not require faith. And that is not worshiping God. Amen, amen, amen. Watch what happens. You have the word of God, now you have the warning. Look at verse 27. But when the 14th night was come, as we were driven up and down in Adria, the Adrian Sea, they're just going, they're just drifting. There is no sail, they're just drifting. About midnight, the, ship, the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country. It's been two weeks, just drifting. They haven't eaten in two weeks. They've been so blown up and down. They're seasick. They're, they're concerned. The, the burdens of life are upon them. They don't know whether they're going to live or die. They've been encouraged by what Paul had to say. But they're just drifting for two weeks. God has given the word, and for two weeks, nothing has changed. That is frustrating to everybody. I prayed about this. God's, God gave me this truth. He gave me this promise. And two weeks later, nothing has changed. We're still just drifting. All of us know that when we pray, we expect it to be answered when we got up. Right? When we have a need, we expect it to show up in the mailbox when we go out there. Or a knock on the door when we get off our knees. Two weeks later, they're just drifting. And it says in verse 28 that they sounded and found it 20 fathoms which is a fathom is six feet, roughly six feet. And they, they're determining the depth. And they can see that it's getting the, uh, the seafloor is getting shallower. And it says they, they realize, no doubt they heard the waves crashing upon the shore. It's midnight, it's dark. There are no, there are no stars, there's no moon. But they found it getting shallower. They sounded again and found it 15 fathoms. And verse 29, then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and they did what? They wished for the day, which means they prayed for the day. Lord, just let the sun come up in the morning. 
They're scared. They're terrified. Verse 30, as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship when they had let down the boat in the sea under color as though they would have cast anchors out of the ship. They're going to let down that little dinghy, you know, that little rescue boat, and they're going to get out of that ship because they're concerned that the ship is going to fall apart. And in verse 31, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. You can't do it your way, gentlemen. Hello? You can't do it your way. You can try to save yourself, but you've already tried to do that, and you've made a mess of things. And Paul is warning, listen, be careful. Abraham had the word of God, yet he went and had Ishmael with Hagar. How many times do we say that we trust the Lord, but we try to make things happen and getting ahead of God rather than wait on God? And Paul said to the centurion, except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. It says in verse 32 that the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. They just let it go because now they're listening to what Paul has to say. Verse 33, we find the worship. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, this day is the 14th day that you have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. And wherefore I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health, and for, for there shall not a hair fall from the head of any of you. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then were they all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. And we were in all in the ship, two hundred Three score and 16 souls. That's 276 people. That's a pretty decent sized congregation. The men are so scared that they're trying to abandon ship. And Paul says you can't do that. Don't do that. Be careful. Don't do that. Because if you try to, put, if you try to make it happen, it's going to be you and not God. Don't do that. Wait on him. He says, as a matter of fact, we haven't eaten in two weeks. I think now's a good time. Let's get some bread. Let's get some meat out. Let's get some food out. And they're watching Paul, and Paul takes that bread. And what does it say Paul did? Somebody help me. What does it say Paul did? He gave thanks. Paul did not know what tomorrow held, he just trusted that tomorrow was in the hands of the Lord. He didn't know, he knew, he didn't know what island they were going to come up on. He just knew they were going to make it to shore. And in the midst of that, he broke bread and he gave thanks to the Lord. If your worship is only as good as your circumstances, it's not very good worship. If your worship is only as good as somebody being kind to you or everything working out and everything is according to your plan, your scenario, if worship has to be based on what you think your life should be, it's not worship. Worship is just believing God's got this. God, you're a good God no matter what. Hello? God, you're a good God in my trials 
as well as my victories. Don't be a calm sea Christian. Be an everyday Christian. Worship the Lord in the good times and the bad times. Worship the Lord whether you feel like it or not. God is still good and he's still on the throne. Worship the Lord because he is good to you. Don't worry about everybody else. Paul is leading the way. He doesn't say, if you guys will join me, we'll break bread. They're just looking at him. Break bread. They're just looking at him. They don't get happy until he breaks bread. 275 other people are saying, look at this crazy guy. We've been throwing our guts up for weeks. He's wanting to eat. He's wanting to give thanks to God. And he says, listen, I'm concerned about your health. You guys are wasting away. You've gone two weeks without it. You've been worried. You're concerned. All of this stuff. He says, we need to just worship. We just need to give God the glory. He says, we got this bread here. Let's take this bread. And he breaks it. He gives thanks to God. He begins to eat it. And it says in verse 30, he says he began to eat verse 35. And in verse 36, then were they all of good cheer and they also took some meat. It doesn't take everybody. It doesn't take everybody to trust the Lord. Sometimes it only takes one person. Teenagers. It didn't take grown disciples to feed the 5,000. It just took a young lad. All the grown-ups are saying we can't do it. Young lad says, I don't know if we can do it or not, but I'll give this to the Lord and see what he can do with it. It doesn't have to take everybody. And everybody doesn't have to be on board. And everybody doesn't have to affect your spirit. Just stop and give thanks. Because he's still God and he's still in control. And if you believe God, you believe God in the good times as well as the difficult times. And if you believe God, listen, I'm going to give you this. If you believe God... When, when everything is going well, even when you've made a mistake and everything is looking bad, still believe him. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is that a promise of God? It's a promise. Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of our God, which is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that a promise of God? You've done something dumb. All right. Get back to him. Get back to him. You, you, you got out of it. You, you made a wrong decision. Okay, you made a wrong decision. Yeah, you may lose some things as a result. You may lose a little bit. But don't just stay out there in the deep and say, I'm not going to trust him. I'm going to abandon ship and go my own way. Just, just stay with the Lord and let him work it out. That's what we're learning here. That's what Paul is, the lesson that we're getting. And the final point is this. Always be seeking the will of God. Trust the sovereignty of God. Look at verse 38. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and cast out the wheat into the sea. All right, we're going all in. And when it was day, they knew not the land. They looked at it. We don't know where that is. They discovered a certain creek with a shore into the which they were minded if it were possible to thrust in the ship. So they're trying to get a little bit closer. So they take up their anchors. They committed themselves to the sea. They're backing off a little bit and they're going to 
They're going to go forward. They loose the rudder bands. They hoist up the mainsail of the wind to be and made towards shore. They're going to try to, to, to get into this, this um, slim area, try to get closer to the shore. And as they do so in verse 41, they fall into a place where two seas met and they ran the ship aground, and the forepart struck fast and remained unmovable. The hinder part, then the waves continued to beat upon it, and it says that it was so violent that it was broken, the rear of the ship was broken, and the soldiers' council, I mean, here they come again, the seamen, they say, kill all the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. Now, worldly wisdom would say that would make a little bit of sense. We don't want any of the prisoners to be free. They're in charge of them. They've been delivered this number of prisoners. They've got to be sure when they get to Rome they have that number of prisoners, dead or alive. But the centurion willing to save Paul kept them from their purpose and commanded that they, should, that, that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to the land. And the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship, and so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. Now can I direct yourself back to the mount? They left Crete. They went out there a little ways trying to get to Phoenix, or it says Phoenix on the map. They thought they were going to go about 40 miles, but as they made that journey, the, the storm really hit hard. They lost everything, and for two weeks they just drifted. They just drifted west. And you can't, you can't even make it out, but you'll see where it says Malta on the far left. That tiny little island below Sicily. Of all the, I mean, they could have gone south and still be floating out the shore. Still be floating out. But the sovereignty of God directed them to that, to that one island. Amen? God got them there. It says in chapter uh, 28, verse 1, it was the island of Melita. It's the island of Malta, which is an island off of Sicily. I want you to get these final principles, and that is this. God knows how to get you where you're supposed to be going. He can get you there. It doesn't have to be as big as the United States of America. He can just get you to a small island. He knows where to get you to. He knows where to get you another ship. Now they think, well, we're going to get that ship in there. We're going to save the ship. The Word of God already said, you're not going to save the ship. They put that ship in there and it begins to fall to pieces and they say, abandon ship, abandon ship. And Julius says, those of you who could swim, jump in the water and swim to shore. Now, my wife is a really good swimmer. I can swim, but I'm not that great a swimmer. I'd be pretty nervous. He says, those of you that can't, find you a board, shipwreck, and let the waves bring you in. Sometimes we can swim ashore. Some of us, we're so broken up. We're so incapable. We just got to grab a hold of something and let, and let the winds blow us there. But here's the good part, BJ. Because God's in control, we're all going to get there. You might not get there classy. You may get there soaking wet. You may have lost your ship. You may lose your cargo. You may have lost a lot of stuff. But God's still going to get you where you're supposed to go. Amen. Amen. Life sees, life 
we hit contrary winds, we hit challenges, we hit difficulties, we, we get to the point where we lose all hope and we think, man, we done messed up. Thankfully, there was somebody praying for them and seeking the word of God and the will of God. And this time when he came back and said, listen, you're going to be all right. You just need to listen to what God says. And that is the time that we learn our lesson and say, you know what? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to listen to what God says. And we're all capable of then making a mistake and say, yeah, but now I'm impatient. I'm, I've been praying. I've been thinking about it. I'm impatient. God's not doing quick enough. And he comes along and says, yeah, but just wait. Do you really trust the Lord? Do you believe God can take care of it? Just wait. Don't go out and make the same mistake again. You're right. God will get us where we're supposed to go. Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray.